The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. It is time for another episode of The Boys of Tech. This is episode 138, and it's for the week beginning Monday, the 17th October 2011. My name is Edwin Herman. I'd like to welcome to the panel Alec Doughty from Drinkle.com. Welcome along, Al. Hi, Ed. How are you doing? I'm excellent. And your week just been all right? It has been. It's been good. Great. Well, you know what? I'm going to get straight into the stories this week because uh, it's a couple of interesting things. First of all, of course, the iPhone 4S was launched a little while ago. Of course, we we didn't really report it straight away because we had the uh, special edition episode 137 last week. But uh, since our last regular episode, the iPhone 4S uh, was released. And I must admit, I was wrong. I predicted the iPhone 5, and it's not. Uh Uh-huh. I uh, I actually predicted the 4S. Did you really? Well, you, well, you're just saying Points. that now. <laughs> After the fact, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, look, it is the, the 4S, so it's a minor update. Uh, well, I guess that's what it's supposed to mean. Should we take a look at some of the uh, the differences between the, the 4 absolutely, and the 4S? Absolutely, absolutely. I think hardware-wise, it, it's not a minor update hardware-wise. It's, it's a doubling the specs. Yeah, you're right. In many ways, going from a 5 to an 8-megapixel camera, doubling the amount of RAM, doubling the, the storage, so it goes up to 64 gig now in, in the, the iPhone models. It's gone from single-core to dual-core. I think that the single-core to dual-core is um, is much needed, especially with the, the more demanding apps, games yeah. in particular. Yeah, and apparently Siri. Uh, yes, Siri. Now, that's a uh, yeah one of the... Um, Part of iOS 5, isn't it? It or- is. It's part of iOS 5, and it's a service rather than an app because it's integrated within within the operating system itself. So it's basically a, a, what, a voice-activated uh, assistant, isn't it? Yeah, it's not, yeah. So a, a voice assistant would be more more sort of descriptive, I think. So you can ask it things in natural language. So book me dinner for two at the blah, blah, blah restaurant in Sydney on the 23rd. And it would go and do that. Yeah. Or find me the closest McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what I would be saying a lot. Or where are my keys? (laughs) Where are my keys? That's what I would be saying even more. (laughs) Every morning, multiple times I say, where are my keys? And and you're you're right. The big thing here is that it's natural language. It's not like, you don't say things like, Launch phone. Exactly. And Dial five four. You know, you don't do that. You just say, call Fred. Or or if you've got a text message, you can say, reply with, thanks, I'll see you later. Yeah. Now, Microsoft have, have also come up with a, a an interesting addition to the Xbox family recently with what's currently being code-worded as um, Xbox Live TV, which integrates 
the Connect software. So you, you can talk to your, your Xbox and say, Xbox, play movie and, and control everything with hand gestures and, and that sort of stuff. But as you were mentioning with Siri, that is more sort of uh, procedural in style. So you've always got to start with Xbox and then you've got to Xbox Play or Xbox Bing to do a search, for instance. So you go Xbox Bing 1952 to do a search on 1952. Okay. Um, whereas the Siri it seems a bit more advanced, a bit more sort of heuristic. At least it's supposed to be. I, I guess, you yeah. know, it's one thing to, you know, that the sales pitch is one thing and, and the reality is sometimes something else. Yeah. But, you know, it's supposed to, you know, the, for those of you familiar with Outlook's, um, uh, you know, Microsoft Outlook, its ability to understand relative dates when m- making appointments. So in, in Outlook, for example, you can type, you, can't, uh, uh, you, yeah. can, you can type like three days before Christmas or second Monday in June and stuff like that. Yeah, and so I would kind of call this the uh, the sort of iPhone command equivalent of Outlook's date interpretations on a sort of a a much broader base rather than just niche oh, or oh, understanding yeah, dates. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. But, but that, that kind I, of thing. I, so, I agree. It's, it's complementary to each other. They yeah, are. Yeah. Yeah. What would the Xbox do though if you said Xbox Google and then something? Um, <laughs> what would salt? it do? <laughs> yeah, sock. <laughs> you can't use Google. Exactly. Hey, it'll probably come up with Clippy saying, I, I can I see you're trying to do a search. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me bing this for you instead. Uh, you should try. Have you got an Xbox it, to try it? No, I don't, unfortunately. Oh. But I've, I've, I've actually been thinking about getting one because of the Connect and, and now this whole TV integration thing is kind of cool, but I don't watch a lot of TV, so pointless. What game console do you have at the moment? You, you got a PlayStation. I have a PlayStation, a Wii, and a gaming PC. <laughs> You've got almost everything. All you need is the Xbox, and it's pretty yeah, much yeah, complete. Yeah, I got the trifecta. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so back to uh, the iPhone. One of the other things that's quite different, and I guess this is hardware-wise as well, is that it's now both CDMA and GSM capable. In the one chip. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Rather than it, having to buy a separate That's good for Apple's bottom line because they don't have to make they don't have to have two production runs essentially. That's right, yeah. Yeah. But in theory or I would have thought it makes it costs. Yeah, but wouldn't it be more expensive having in each phone extra circuitry that's really not doing anything? Not if the overall cost of, of buying four million chips is per unit cheaper than buying 2 million of each of the other types of chips. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that could make sense. Yeah. That could make sense. A bit of battery life as well. Apparently the iPhone 4S will allow you to talk for 8 hours on 3G. Why you'd want to talk for 8 hours, I have no idea. But you could. I could not. (laughs) We haven't done a podcast that long, have we? (laughs) I don't think we've tried. I think the, the longest we've done, and I'm not sure if you were on that podcast, the longest we've done I think is an hour and a half. Yeah, no, I wasn't on that one. Yeah, okay. Uh, nine hours apparently of uh, wireless use, which is which actually is pretty actually good. pretty good. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's actually getting up there with uh, iPad battery life. Now. Yeah, and you have to remember. Let's put this into context. We're talking a phone here. We're talking a yeah, little yeah, pocket yeah. device. And like the the iPad has like three times the number of cells in the battery. 
Right. Okay. Take. So they've obviously yeah, uh, got a much much sort of higher volume of, of actual cells within the battery. Let's say that I wouldn't I wouldn't be confident enough to actually say it's three times or four times, but there's, there's more in, right. in the uh, iPad. And apparently, uh, pre-sales now are just soaring, uh, and they're sort of linking that with uh, the death of Steve Jobs as well. That what you know, saying that yeah, once he- how much how much impact that actually had is anyone's guess, but I would be saying not much, to be honest, because every if you look at the sales of each, like the first day pre-orders of each of the iPhones when they're released, they have been close to doubling every time. The iPhone 4 was 600,000. 600,000 pre-orders, in, mm. in, but we have to sort in, of- c- In the first 24 hours. Oh, in the first 24 hours, right. The thing is, uh, I guess the only way to find out is to go to that parallel universe where he didn't die and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, HTC phones apparently, or at least some of them, have security holes, well, a security hole, a rather great big gaping one at that. And uh, it, that, doesn't ha- it doesn't have any uh, any exploits in the wild yet. Not that yeah. I know, that's correct. But in theory, it allows an application that has access to use the internet, which is pretty much most apps. <laughs> any app. But, yeah, yeah, pretty much most apps. It means that they can get their hands on a list of user accounts, including email addresses and the sync status for each. It yep. can get its hands on the last known network and GPS locations and a limited previous history of locations. Also phone numbers from the phone log, uh, SMS data, including phone numbers and encoded text. Yeah, essentially it has access to all of the logs on the phone Yeah, because of that. So anything that's logged on the phone is accessible. Yeah, I was just going to say also system, system yeah. logs in general as well yeah. is, the, is the last yeah. thing there. HCC have said they're addressing the issue, which is uh, good to see. By the way, the security hole was reported by Android Police. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I, didn't hear, I didn't know about this group until until this came out. Yeah, they've they've done some good work. They've found a couple of uh, gaping security holes with Android in general, not just with HTC handsets. All I can say, sitting in the Apple camp here, is it's nice to see that it's not just the iPhone getting its fair share of security vulnerabilities and oh, any uh, absolutely any piece of hardware or and or software that is going to be released, regardless of who releases it, is going to have security flaws. Not a Commodore sixty four. Oh, I bet that it can be hacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I might, I might uh, take those words back because it probably is something. <laughs> there, you're right. It, pretty much yeah. anything yeah. has at least one, something. Yeah, because you can't develop perfect code. No, I exactly. Mean, it, it, it really can't happen. At least not statistically. No. Yeah, the probability is incredibly yeah, low. I, yeah, I would say even uh, in, in practicality, it, it's not possible to do perfect code with absolutely no security flaws. Because there's so many third-party interdependencies uh, using third-party libraries and reliant on hardware integration. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. so, I mean, you can do things to, to mitigate the risk of serious security flaws creeping into your code base, but you can't eliminate it. No, you're right. It, it's it'll always be there, and it's just a, it's just a matter of how quickly can you address them and how well can you address them. Exactly. Those, and, those and, and do you stay silent about it, or are you open and transparent about it? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, do you do a Sony and only fess up when once it's <laughs> out of the bag? Or a if, better example of this is the security certificate hacks that happened 
earlier in the year where, where one of the companies, I cannot remember which company now, but one of the certificate authorities got hacked. A hacker issued a whole bunch of fake certificates for like Google.com and Bing.com and like a whole bunch of um, sort of A-list internet properties with the intent of doing man-in-the-middle in the attacks. And that certificate authority stayed silent about it. And when it eventually came to light and the fact that they'd known about this for six months or something, that bankrupted the company because Mozilla pulled that certificate authority out of the whitelist from the Firefox code base and Chrome and Safari and Internet Explorer did the same thing. So all of a sudden, none of the certificates that were issued by that authority were actually valid anymore. Yeah, that's right. So they so had I no... Yeah. Based to yeah, exactly. It was kind of like the foundations were pulled from them yeah. under them. But but another certificate authority that had the same thing happen came out immediately and said, "Yes, we've been hacked." All right, and they survived. Mm, yeah, that's an so, interesting lesson, isn't it? Yeah. The one, the original one you're talking about, I think, is the uh, the Dutch authority Diginota. That's the one. Yeah, that's what, yeah. And you're right; they went bankrupt because they just treated that so badly. Now, let me ask you a question, Al. You're a bit of a movie buff. A little. Oh, at least more than me, that's for sure. <laughs> Would you pay 60 US dollars to watch a movie at home, online, that's currently uh, playing in the cinemas? No, I would not. Yes, that's, that is just ridiculously steep. For, How much for- do you pay to go to the movies in Australia? Um, depending on where you go, but you could pay anywhere from... Uh, $5 for like a Tuesday matinee session, which is like an afternoon session, or standard prices at one of the cheaper cinema chains is like $9, $9 for an adult. And then you've got Hoyt's and Greater Union at the top of the food chain, which are like 15 bucks. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I usually go to uh, South Bank Cinema in uh, Brisbane, which is $9 for a ticket or something. So $60 is quite a... A lot, really, to see yeah, the same for, movie for the, at home. For the privilege of seeing it in your own home. Now, I mean, th- th- well, this is based on their assumption that four people are actually going to be watching it to give the family value on it. So, so they've. Oh, they've, I see. Yeah. Pre- yeah. The, the way they're selling it is like four people going out to the cinema is going to cost you $60 anyway. Why not stay in? Yeah, the thing is, I, I think you need a bit more of a draw card. Look, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, I'm not a big movie buff those- myself, but there is something about going to the cinema. Sure, these days, the home cinema entertainment systems are pretty good. They've come a long way. They are but great. But there's still something about the, the big screen, and it's also, it's uh, what do you call it? It's reflected light, not direct light, so it's yeah. got a different feel, you know? It, do- it does. It's softer on the eyes. Yeah, it think. is. It is. Oh. And arguably, I don't think you can match the sound of proper cinemas. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you, you would need cinema quality audio in your home before you can do that. My only gripe, though, would be that uh, in the cinemas, they seem to have the volume up too loud. I find it too loud. The movies are too loud. I sound like an old man, but, don't I? <laughs> but, the, but they the, are they too loud. have the balance between the action and the vocals very good. So everything is just really too loud. Whereas in the home, often when you're watching a movie, the action will be really loud and the, all of the, the dialogue will be really soft. So you're constantly just going volume up, volume down, volume up, yeah, volume so, down. Yeah, so a bit of compression there might help. Yeah. Uh, dynamic compression, of course. Yeah. I mean, not, not uh, you know, uh, format compression. So $60 US, you wouldn't do that. It seems not a bit steep, particularly for a movie that's already been out in the cinema for like three or four weeks. But what if it was the first day? What if it was the first day of the cinema? 
I, I, I can see that I, there is, it's getting to sort of a value proposition then, but it's still too expensive. What about you and Man, half a dozen mates at home? Uh, now that is becoming a little bit more competitive, but for, for a single man or a single person at home or even two people, it's just too expensive. The other thing is, I don't think we'd have the bandwidth here in New Zealand. We'd be, by the time you waited for it to buffer, you could go down the, yeah. you'd be down the movies and back. Hey, very few people in Australia would have the bandwidth to actually yeah, that's the, other thing. the download speed. In yeah. any event, it's not, uh, I don't think it's available in, down under here anyway. It's uh, no, US it's only. Comcast, isn't it? Sorry? It's only Comcast. Yeah, Comcast, yeah, cable. Yeah. So that's right. It's available in the US. They're releasing it there as, well, I've said the price a million times, 60 US dollars. But like I say, it's the first time, I believe. That you can They're piloting you, it. Yeah, they are pilot. piloting it. And it's the first time I believe that you can actually see a movie at home, legitimately, of course. Uh, yeah, you know, that's but, currently but showing in the cinemas. Exactly. So it's a move in the right direction. They're just pricing it too high at the moment. The thing is, of course, prices will drop. This will become a, sta- a standard. If it goes well, it'll become a standard service, and it'll be you know in five years, maybe a decade, it'll be one of several options that people just really wouldn't think twice about. Agreed. Um, but I, I just have this suspicion that it's not going to go well because they've priced everyone out of the market. No one's going to actually want to, to do it. So they're going to say, oh, the pilot was a failure. But the early adopters, there's always early adopters that will pay almost anything. And as long as the, apart from the price, as long as the delivery is good, so long as the, the service is easy to use, works well, they'll report back favorably, I think. No, because the Comcasts of the world are only going to look at their bottom line. All right, was what financially was that pilot successful? No. All right, program killed. Do you think? Yeah, that's the way old media thinks. And it's hard for if that happens, it's hard for them to try again at a cheaper price because people absolutely people yeah. have already decided not. Nah, Thanks. No thanks. You know, and I think from a mindset, they're incapable of trying again at a lower price. Yeah, actually, you're probably right. You're, you're, right. you're probably. I, I right. think people would probably embrace it and go, "Oh, they've, they've lowered the price to thirty bucks." I might think about it now. I guess there's always the competitor that could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, competitive tension is probably the only thing that's actually going to save us here. Hmm. So all. Signs of them traveling in the right direction, but still of wonky thinking, I think. I agree. I agree. Now, here's the question for you. If you had a credit card that could only be used within Australian borders, would you want one, for example, for use on the internet? No. Why not? I thought it was a fantastic idea. My stuff on the internet from overseas companies. My hosting, everything I do on the internet is with like companies not in Australia. I wouldn't say everything, but a good high proportion of it. My business would die. Okay, but there must be a lot of... What about flights? When you book flights, you must book with, say, Qantas. Oh, I'm sure, for those, those sorts of situations. But then I would have to have two credit cards. And if you've got a car, you pay for the, the licensing or the registration, whatever you have in Australia online as well, I'm, I'm imagining? Yeah, mainly through internet banking there. Oh, okay, internet banking, yeah, right. Using like BPay and transfers and direct debits and that sort what of stuff. What about toll roads? Um, I don't travel toll roads. I go around them. 
you cover up your number plates, don't you? <laughs> no. Drive backwards. Yeah, drive backwards. <laughs> you get these louvers that, um, that that cover your number plate. Well, that cause your number plate only to be visible sort of a direct line of sight. So the cameras, which are always posted high, can't see them, but they're actually illegal, strangely enough. Yeah, and the, apparently there's like a, a spray on film or something that you can you can use that yeah. does the same thing, just increases its refraction and basically it just comes back to the camera as this white blob. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just increases the re- reflectivity, I believe. But again, I, I suspect that's illegal. I know they illegal, are in New Zealand. Absolutely. Yeah, Ill- illegal. And, and not condoned at all. Oh, no. No, no definitely this not. podcast. Good. Thank you for the disclaimer there. <laughs> that gets us out of trouble or potential trouble. Now, the reason I brought this topic up about the credit cards, of course, is that this is one of the ideas being mooted, uh, in fact, by a Queensland top fraud cop. There you go. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad choice and that there are absolutely some people who would benefit from it, like those people that aren't quite as internet savvy might fall victim to uh, to things and they would be safer if they had these sort of segregated cards, one for international and one for domestic purchases. But it's just not for you is what you're saying. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that it's a stupid idea or I'm just saying I wouldn't use it. The idea, of course, behind it is that every time you use your credit card online, there's a potential for it to be details to be obtained, you know. Yeah, it could be a fraudulent company you're dealing with absolutely. or someone could be sniffing yeah. the traffic and uh, whatnot. So the more you use a card online, the more likely it is to be compromised. So, of course, if, you have, if you're using one online that is, if you like, your locked. Your online cur- card, effectively. Exactly. That's yeah. locked to your country only, say, for example, within Australia. Mm-hmm. then a hacker who's got your card details in, say, the US can't use it because they can't actually put the transaction through on that card outside yeah, of Australia. So it's, it's useless to them. So what they'll try and do is sell it to a criminal in Australia yeah. um, to use. And that means that when it's actually used, it's within Australian borders, which means the Australian Federal Police can actually chase it up. Exactly. Easier to, uh, to yeah, chase. To police. Mm, to, to Easier police. to police. Exactly. Um. But I but, thought this was fantastic. You know, when I saw this story, I thought, that's what I, I'd like one. And sure, I'm like you as well. I do a lot of purchases with overseas companies, mostly UK and France, but I would still use it for the New Zealand-based transactions. Yeah, so you would basically have one card for your international purchases and one card for your, for your domestic purchases. Correct. Yeah. And that would that would reduce the chance of fraud. Now, none of my cards have been involved in fraud as, so far as I, I'm aware. No, uh, neither I've, have I. Neither but, have you know, I. there's always that chance. So, you yeah. know, I'd, I'd, li- I'd still well, like to be able to reduce that chance. It's, it's a matter of when it happens online, I think. These days, and not even online, because, I mean, credit cards can get stolen from a cafe. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. They just have to grab the receipts. Well, actually, oh. the receipts don't normally print out with a full card number, well, at least not, not in the last decade or so. Oh, I guess true. But they can get imprints of them, they can copy yeah. them, they can write yeah. the details down if they go around the back. And that's why, you know, when you go to a foreign country, especially, but even anywhere for that matter, mm. I'm not comfortable giving my card. You don't let them take the card away. Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't you, be comfortable giving the card. card to the register. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they try and disappear on the back, you know, you say, look, can you whoa, whoa, put this through whoa, whoa. here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bring that back. I, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, to discuss the Queensland guy that was actually 
giving the, the presentation, he had one other suggestion which I thought was probably more applicable and that's just have additional cards and use cards for specific things. So you use one set of cards for paying your bills, you use another card for shopping on eBay and Amazon, you use another card for, for the sort of boutique domestic stuff like Think Geek or um, like just buying mail order alcohol or whatever and do your segregation not by region but by product. Yeah, okay, right. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And, and also, you know, I guess I would also in the mix there add reputation of company as well. So, for example, yeah. for, for little, if I'm buying something from a big well-known established company or even a, a government service for that matter here in New Zealand, I would treat it in one way. Whereas if I'm dealing with sort of, you know, Tom's online store dot com, uh, New Zealand or, or overseas regardless, to yeah. me, you know, that's uh, doesn't quite have the same reputation. So yeah, put that on your high risk card. Yeah, exactly. But like passwords, isn't it? Same yeah. thing with passwords. Yeah. You've got your yeah. throw. Well, not your throw away passwords, but passwords. Yeah, that- easy to remember passwords, and your I will never remember that if it's not <laughs> saved in an encrypted locker. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. And uh, yeah, and of course, you know, you, you should be. It's a good practice to do that to to sort of segregate your, your passwords and yeah, credit, yeah, yeah. credit card. The same yeah. thing. I don't use the same password at all. On any service, really, yeah. you are you are far better than I am at IT security. I, I just, oh, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I I'm have help. I, I use a program called LastPass, which is awesome for for that. It integrates with Android, iOS, Windows Phone. It's got browser plugins. It encrypts everything locally. The cloud only stores the encrypted version. So if LastPass gets hacked, all the baddies get is the encrypted files. So you've got time to, in theory, reset your passwords. Exactly. Mm. And all you need to do is reset your password and all of the encrypted files get decrypted and re-encrypted on your local machine and re-uploaded up onto the cloud. It's a really good service. To be honest, I'm not sure that I would trust it, though. Oh, absolutely I do. Why why wouldn't you? Well, I don't have any reason to suggest that they're not legit, but I don't know, I just don't feel comfortable with my passwords encrypted or not being anywhere anywhere outside my my own yeah. computer. Have you heard of a guy called Steve Gibson? Uh is it is he linked to the Gibson group? Yes, he is the he is the the reason the Gibson Research Center exists. GRC. He he was the uh, discoverer of the first piece of uh, spyware. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he does a, a podcast called Security Now, which is a very informative podcast. Oh, yeah, Security and Now, yes. I, I know the, yeah. But he, he did a breakdown and an analysis of that service in a, like an hour-long show on Security Now, and it's really solid. I don't know why. I just still would, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't feel I mean, comfortable. It, it, it's about the only type of that that service that I trust because he, he did things like actually inspect the packets that were going back and forth from his machine to the right. last service. And, I mean, he was doing packet inspections and all sorts of stuff to like really look at it deeply. And he talked to their developers and all sorts of stuff. And, it, yeah, it got a clean bill of health from Steve Gibson. So that is okay by me. Yeah, I guess they give it some. Uh, uh, that gives uh, it some cred. Mm, yeah. Okay. 
All right, well, I'll tell you what, with, because I only have about like four different passwords, I tend to remember them all, but I, I shouldn't be giving this information away. <laughs> so I don't, but what I'm getting at is I probably don't need LastPass right no. now with only no. four passwords. But anyway, Al, that pretty much concludes episode 138. So I'd like to thank you very much for joining me on this wonderful episode. It has been a, a blast. Thanks for having me again. You're most welcome and I uh, hope to have you again next week if you're available. Oh, All right, great. So you've been listening to New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. If you really like the show, consider sending us a donation via PayPal. We'd love you to do that. You can do that at our website, boysatech.com. In the meantime, take care. Have a great week. See you next time. Goodbye. See you guys.